a journal of the plague year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 24 This episode continues the author's cataloging of the miseries endured during the epidemic. From the weekly bills, he notes that close to 40,000 people died in the five weeks between August 22nd and September 26th, although not all from the plague, but he is skeptical of that number, believing that as many as 10,000 a week may have died during that period. Another theme he enlarges upon here is the effectiveness of the city government in maintaining adequate supplies of provisions for the poor and seeing to it that the dead were promptly disposed of. As one of the effects of their administration, he notes, the price of bread remained relatively stable throughout the entire period and communal ovens remained open for households that made their own bread. I must acknowledge that this time was terrible, that I was sometimes at the end of all my resolutions, and that I had not the courage that I had at the beginning. As the extremity brought other people abroad, it drove me home, and except having made my voyage down to Blackwall and Greenwich, as I've related, which was an excursion, I kept afterwards very much within doors, as I had for about a fortnight before. I have said already that I repented several times that I had ventured to stay in town and had not gone away with my brother and his family, but it was too late for that now, and after I had retreated and stayed within doors a good while before my impatience led me abroad, then they called me, as I have said, to an ugly and dangerous office, which brought me out again. But as that was expired while the height of the distemper lasted, I retired again, and continued close ten or twelve days more, during which many dismal spectacles represented themselves in my view out my own window and in our own street, as that particularly from Harrow Alley, of the poor outrageous creature which danced and sung in his agony, and many others there were. Scarce a day or night passed over, but some dismal thing or other happened at the end of that Harrow Alley, which was a place full of poor people, most of them belonging to the butchers, or to employments depending upon butchery. Sometimes heaps and throngs of people would burst out of the alley, most of them women, making a dreadful clamor, mixed or compounded of screeches, crying, and calling one another, that we could not conceive what to make of it. Almost all of the dead part of the night the dead cart stood at the end of that alley, for if it went in it could not well turn again, and could go in but a little way. There, I say, it stood to receive dead bodies, and as the churchyard was but a little way off, if it went away full, it would soon be back again. It is impossible to describe the most horrible cries and noise the poor people would make at their bringing the dead bodies of their children and friends out of the cart, and by the number one would have thought there had been none left behind, 
or that there were people enough for a small city living in those places. Several times they cried, murder, sometimes fire. But it was easy to perceive it was all distraction and the complaints of distressed and distempered people. I believe it was everywhere thus at that time, for the plague raged for six or seven weeks beyond all that I have expressed, and came even to such a height that, in the extremity, they began to break into that excellent order of which I have spoken so much in behalf of the magistrates, namely, that no dead bodies were seen in the streets or burials in the daytime, for there was a necessity in this extremity to bear with its being otherwise for a little while. One thing I cannot omit here, and indeed I thought it was extraordinary, at least it seemed a remarkable hand of divine justice and so forth, that all the predictors, astrologers, fortune-tellers, and what they called cunning men, conjurers, and the like, calculators of nativities and dreamers of dreams and such people, were gone and vanished. Not one of them was to be found. I am verily persuaded that a great number of them fell in the heat of the calamity, having ventured to stay upon the prospect of getting great estates. And indeed their gain was but too great for a time, through the madness and folly of the people. But now they were silent. Many of them went to their long home, not able to foretell their own fate or to calculate their own nativities. Some must have been critical enough to say that every one of them died. I dare not affirm that, but this I must own, that I never heard of one of them that ever appeared after the calamity was over. But to return to my particular observations during this dreadful part of the visitation, I am now come, as I have said, to the month of September, which was the most dreadful of its kind, I believe, that ever London saw. For by all accounts which I have seen of the preceding visitations which have been in London, nothing has been like it, the number in the weekly bill amounting to almost 40,000 from the 22nd of August to the 26th of September being but five weeks. The particulars of the bills are as follows. From August 22nd to the 29th, 7,496. From the 29th to the 5th of September, 8,252. From September 5th to the 12th, 7,690. From the 12th to the 19th, 8,297. From the 19th to the 26th, 6,460. This was a prodigious number of itself, but if I should add the reasons which I have to believe that this account was deficient, and how deficient it was, you would, with me, make no scruple to believe that there died above 10,000 a week for all those weeks, one week with another, and a proportion for several weeks both before and after. The confusion among the people, especially within the city at this time, was inexpressible. The terror was so great at last that the courage of the people appointed to carry away the dead began to fail them. Nay, several of them died, although they had the distemper before and were recovered, and some of them dropped down where they had been carrying the bodies even at the pit side, and just ready to throw them in. And this confusion was greater in the city because they had flattered themselves with hopes of escaping, and thought the bitterness of death was past. One cart, they told us, going up Shoreditch, was forsaken of the drivers, or being left to one man to drive, he died in the street, and the horses going on overthrew the cart and left the bodies, some thrown out here, some there, in a dismal manner. 
Another cart was, it seems, found in the great pit in Finsbury Fields, the driver being dead, or having been gone and abandoned it, and the horses running too near it, the cart fell in and drew the horses in also. It was suggested that the driver was thrown in with it, and that the cart fell upon him, by reason his whip was seen to be in the pit among the bodies, but that, I suppose, could not be certain. In our parish of Aldgate, the dead carts were several times, as I have heard, found standing at the churchyard gate full of dead bodies, but neither bellman or driver or anyone else with it. Neither in these or many other cases did they know what bodies they had in their cart, for sometimes they were let down with ropes out of balconies and out of windows, and sometimes the bearers brought them to the cart, sometimes other people, nor, as the men themselves said, did they trouble themselves to keep any account of the numbers. The vigilance of the magistrates was now put to the utmost trial, and, it must be confessed, can never be enough acknowledged on this occasion also, whatever expense or trouble they were at. Two things were never neglected in the city or suburbs either. Number one, provisions were always to be had in full plenty, and the price not much raised neither, hardly worth speaking. Number two, no dead bodies lay unburied or uncovered, and if one walked from one end of the city to another, no funeral or sign of it was to be seen in the daytime, except a little, as I have said above, in the first three weeks in September. This last article, perhaps, will hardly be believed when some accounts which others have published since then shall be seen, wherein they say that the dead lay unburied, which I am assured was utterly false, at least, if it had been anywhere so, it must have been in houses where the living were gone from the dead, having found means, as I have observed, to escape, and where no notice was given to the officers. All of which amounts to nothing at all in the case at hand, for this I am positive in, having myself been employed a little in the direction of that part in the parish in which I lived, and where as great a desolation was made in proportion to the number of inhabitants as was anywhere, I say, I am sure that there were no dead bodies remained unburied, that is to say, none that the proper officers knew of, none for want of people to carry them off, and barriers to put them into the ground and cover them. And this is sufficient to the argument, for what might lie in houses and holes, as in Moses and Aaron Alley, is nothing, for it is most certain they were buried as soon as they were found. As to the first article, namely of provisions, the scarcity or dearness, though I have mentioned it before and shall speak of it again, yet I must observe here, 1. The price of bread in particular was not much raised, for in the beginning of the year, that is, in the first week of March, the penny wheaten loaf was ten ounces and a half, and in the height of the contagion it was to be had at nine ounces and a half and never dearer. No, not all that season. And about the beginning of November it was sold ten ounces and a half again, the like of which, I believe, was never heard of in any city under so dreadful a visitation before. Number two, nor was there, which I much wondered at, any want of bakers or ovens kept open to supply the people with bread. But this was indeed alleged by some families, that is, that their maidservants, going to the bakehouses with their dough to be baked, which was then the custom, sometimes came home with the sickness, that is to say, the plague, upon them. In all this dreadful visitation there were, as I have said before, but two pest-houses made use of. 
one in the fields beyond Old Street and one in Westminster. Neither was there any compulsion used in carrying people thither. Indeed, there was no need of compulsion in the case, for there were thousands of poor, distressed people who, having no help or conveniences or supplies but of charity, would have been very glad to have been carried thither and been taken care of, which, indeed, was the only thing that I think was wanting in the whole public management of the city, seeing nobody was here allowed to be brought to the pest house but where money was given, or security for money, either at their introducing or upon their being cured and sent out, for very many were sent out again whole, and the good physicians were appointed to those places so that many people did very well there, of which I shall make mention again. The principal sort of people sent thither were, as I have said, servants who got the distemper by going on errands to fetch necessaries to the families where they lived, and who in that case, if they came home sick, were removed to preserve the rest of the house, and they were so well looked after there, in all the time of the visitation, that there was but a hundred and fifty-six buried in all of the London pest-houses, and a hundred and fifty-nine at that of Westminster. By having more pest-houses, I am far from meaning of forcing all people into such places. Had the shutting up of houses been omitted, and the sick hurried out of their dwellings to pest-houses, as some proposed, it seems at that time as well as since, it would certainly have been much worse than it was. The very removing the sick would have been a spreading of the infection, and rather because that removing could not effectually clear the house where the sick person was of distemper, and the rest of the family, being then left at liberty, would certainly spread it among others. The methods also in private families, which would have been universally used to have concealed the distemper, and to have concealed the person's being sick, would have been such that the distemper would sometimes have seized a whole family before any visitors or examiners could have known of it. On the other hand, the prodigious numbers which would have been sick at a time would have exceeded all the capacity of the pest houses to receive them, or of public officers to discover and remove them. This was well considered in those days, and I have heard them talk of it often. The magistrates had enough to do to bring people to submit to having their houses shut up, and many ways they deceived the watchmen and got out, as I have observed. But that difficulty made it apparent that they would have found it impracticable to have gone the other way to work, for they could never have forced the sick people out of their beds and out of their dwellings. It must not have been my Lord Mayor's officers, but an army of officers that must have attempted it. And the people, on the other hand, would have been enraged and desperate and would have killed those that should have offered to have meddled with them or with their children and relations, whatever had befallen them for it, so that they would have made the people, who, as it were, were in the most terrible distraction imaginable, I say, they would have made them stark mad, whereas the magistrates found it proper, on several occasions, to treat them with lenity and compassion, and not with violence and terror such as dragging the sick out of their houses or obliging them to remove themselves would have been.